We sang our delight and our reward. Is God your delight? Is, is your Savior your delight? Um, he should be. He should be. Of all the things that are attractive about this world, uh, our Savior should be uh, our greatest delight, our greatest joy. Um, and will one day, as we see Him face to face, be the greatest reward we could imagine. I have a confession to make this morning. When I was in high school, I watched professional wrestling. <laughs> it actually was the thing to do in Clarksville, Texas. Lots of my friends watched professional wrestling. And we would gather together at someone's house on Saturday evening and enjoy the spectacle. Now, we were aware as you should be. I hope I'm not giving anything away here. It's fake. <laughs> Sorry. What I'm not sure I was aware of until later, it, maybe if you'd asked us, we would have known, uh, but I don't know if we ever verbalized it, is not only is it fake, it's scripted. The heroes and the villains, the good guys and the bad guys, the, the betrayals, the alliances, all of those things are carefully scripted out. It's like a soap opera in an 18 by 18 square. <laughs> and as a high school kid, we enjoyed those types of things, I suppose. What's interesting, in the middle of that carefully orchestrated script, where sometimes it seems as we view from the outside that things are out of control, that it is chaos, in that carefully controlled script, there are some things that that, that organization can't control. There is and has been for a number of years uh, a difficult issue with premature death and drug abuse in that profession. Those uh, actors or wrestlers um, struggle mightily with the temptations of the flesh. Some people blame it on the steroids, that, that drug of necessity to, to look a certain way to, to gain the audience they need. One of the most famous and most tragic wrestling families is a family by the name of Von Erich. Uh, five of Fritz von Erich's six children uh, died prematurely. One is a young child, but of the remaining five, four uh, died before they should have, three by suicide and one from an apparent drug overdose. But that's not uncommon. His family was hit particularly hard, but it's not uncommon in that profession for those guys to wrestle with far more than just each other. My thought is, is that if we take a hard look at ourselves, we're not a whole lot different than them. We may not be wrestling with uh, drugs, but are we wrestling with other addictive things? Pride, prestige, power, pornography. We may not be wrestling with this, this sense of I've got to portray a certain image, but 
are we wrestling with that in our own families, our friends, our work, where we have to feel like I've got to put forth a, a certain image so someone likes me? That may not be for big bucks and, and, and for the television boss who's breathing over my shoulder of me acting a certain way, but it, it may be. You may feel the pressure of acting and behaving a certain way because, well, everybody else is doing it. I'm wrestling with stuff inside that I don't think anybody else is wrestling with, and so I better just keep my mouth shut. I better just smile when I walk through those doors on a Sunday morning. I don't want anybody to know. And your life may not end up like some of those wrestlers' lives because you may not be pumping into your system a, a chemical that affects how you think. But is the damage any less serious? Right, the Apostle Paul said it very succinctly. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not. And what I want to propose to you this morning and for the next several weeks as we look at the life of Jacob is that our battle is, is not just against those wicked forces that Paul talked about. I want to suggest to you that we also wrestle with God. Let me give you a simple example. A few verses earlier in that book we read this morning, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, God is writing a script for me as a husband. And yet sometimes I do things that are rather stupid or selfish, and it's as if I was saying, God, I appreciate the script, but right now I want to do a little ad-libbing. I really don't want to follow along with what you've got for me at this point as I relate to my wife. Whether or not she did anything that I might be able to blame her for, well, she provoked me. Right? There is no if at the end of that state statement. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, unless your wife does such and such. It's not in there. The script is very plain. And yet there are times that I want to deviate from that script. I tend to deviate from that script because I'm selfish. I think we all wrestle with God. Jacob wrestled with God. In fact, Jacob wrestled with everybody. From start to finish, Jacob wrestled with everybody he came in contact with. And this morning, we actually want to start not with Jacob, but we want to start several years earlier. We want to look at a character who doesn't even get a name in the Bible. He's just called Abraham's servant. But this story begins what is the narrative of the life of Jacob. And I think when Moses wrote this and when the Holy Spirit led him to do that, this story is there on purpose, the beginning. Because you see, for the next 40 years, in this chronicle of, of what happens, there's nobody who comes close to the faithfulness of Abraham's servant. Every single character that we meet is flawed in some way. Except, it seems, this one. He shows up kind of out of nowhere. Abraham's servant takes up 
the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, and then he goes away. And he is, in a sense, a foil for everybody else we meet for the next 12 chapters. Here's Abraham's servant. Here's what he does. Here's what he looks like. Here's how he wrestles. Now notice what everybody else does. It's a great comparison. And so this morning we want to look in Genesis chapter 24 at Abraham's servant. We're going to do things a little differently this morning. We're going to look at half the story. And we're going to take a break. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Then we're going to come back and look at the second half of the story. So now I'm going to read the first half of Genesis 24, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 27, and then we will look at the second half in a little while. It's a lot of reading this morning, um, but there's nothing that's more important than God's Word. There is an outline in the bulletin for you to follow along if you didn't get one. Bo's got some, and he'd be happy to pass some out to you if anybody else wants one. Genesis chapter 24, beginning... In verse 1, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this, my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing at the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. 
Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels in gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master as for me. The Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to be in your word. And I pray that as we look at it, you would encourage us and challenge us, that you would reveal yourself to us, and may we be changed. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Abraham's servant proved himself to be faithful to all that Abraham asked him to do. It was a complicated task. Uh, even to begin with, even with no extra stipulations, I need you to find a wife for my son. Oh, man, you know, I don't want to play matchmaker here. But then Abraham narrowed the funnel so much that it almost, at least in my mind, seems an impossible task. Uh, you can't get a local gal. You've got to get someone from my own family, way back where I came from, by the way, which was hundreds of miles away. And whatever you do, don't take him back. And if I'm the servant, I'm scratching my... Okay, let me get this right, Abe. You want me to go... Oh, by the way, Abraham's been gone for 70 years. You want me to go back to where your family lived? Are you sure they're even still there? And you want me to convince uh, this girl, if I can find her, to follow me, whom she doesn't know, back to some place she's never been and marry a guy she's never met. Is that what you want me to do? Yep, that's it. Uh, you know what's amazing? Uh, he says, okay. But he, he has a stipulation. He says, what if she doesn't come? You see, he sees plan A, and he's willing because he trusts his master. But he wants to know what plan B is. Okay, what's the backup plan? And Abraham says, there's not one. This is the plan. And at this point in time, if I'm Abraham's servant, I'm saying, okay, all right, um, okay. I don't know that I like that. You see, because I live in a world where I like plan Bs. What about you? you? You like plan Bs? Here's what I think God wants from me in my life, but God, if that doesn't happen, I want a backup plan. If, if this doesn't work out, I, I sure would like something else to turn to. But you know, Abraham had been through that plan A, plan B business before. And we learned, as we talked about Abraham a year ago or so, that it, finally Abraham seemed to have get it. And when God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love, 
Isaac. Abraham said, okay. He didn't ask about a plan B. He just said, okay, I'll do that. The writer of Hebrews reminding us that Abraham assumed if he went through with this that God would raise him from the dead because he was the promised son. And apparently it seems that that faith that Abraham had rubbed off on this servant. Faith has a way of doing that. When we exercise faith, it tends to rub off on the people that are around us. And Abraham's servant remained faithful even though in his mind he really would have liked a plan B. But he trusted Abraham who trusted God. And God said to your descendants, plural, I will give this land. And right now there's only Isaac. And so Isaac needs a wife because Isaac needs kids. And Abraham says, we can't marry one of these pagan ladies around here. We've got to get someone good. Go back to my family. Don't worry. God's going to work it out. And the servant said, okay. All right. So he loads up the camels, 10 of them, packs up a lot of stuff, and he heads out hundreds of miles up around Israel, Mediterranean Sea, up around the Fertile Crescent. Am I going the right way? You're looking at it backwards. Mediterranean Sea, he goes up around the Fertile Crescent and travels to Mesopotamia, modern-day Iran, Iraq. And he shows up at the place, and my thought is, he starts out like any trip you start out. You're gung-ho, you're excited, you're ready to go. And over time, don't the doubts begin to creep in? What if they've moved off? What if they've all died? What if they all just had boys? (laughs) And he shows up, and he's a smart guy. He's not dumb. I'll go to the well where everybody comes at it in the evenings. All the eligible ladies will come out, and I'll just see. But he prays this prayer. And it's not just this random prayer like sometimes I think Gideon's fleece was sort of just, I need a sign, God. It seems that way. The woman whom I say, let down your jar for me to drink, may she also say, drink, and I'll water your camels also. It kind of seems a little random. But it was very specific. See, the servant knew that Abraham's son, Isaac, deserved the best that there is. And the woman who was willing to offer him a drink and then offer to water the ten camels, who, by the way, could drink up to probably 250 gallons, if not more. That's a woman who, number one, is hardworking. She's hospitable. And she's kind to strangers. You see, the servants watched Abraham do that very thing when the angels showed up, just busy as a bee, getting ready for company, taking care of those around him. And he says, the woman who marries Isaac needs to be that kind of woman. God, here's what we're looking for. But I wonder, well, let me tell you my weakness. Here's what I would be thinking. God, this is crazy. Number one, who's going to do that? Number two, God, if I start going up and asking girl after girl to give me a drink, pretty soon the law is going to come by and say, quit panhandling, kick me out of the country. Or get your own drink, buddy. Quit bothering the ladies. Or what if some woman does that and waters all the camels and she turns out not to be from the right family 
Well, then the camels are full. They're not drinking anymore. This may be the dumbest thing I've ever done. But you know what? He was willing to look foolish to accomplish what God had sent him to do. And I guess that's a question that we need to answer. Are we willing to look foolish for God's glory? Are we willing to to do what the world says we shouldn't do because God says we should? Are we willing to, to be different than the culture says we should be because that's what Americans in the 21st century do? Are we willing for someone to say, you don't do that, really? Or you do that, really? Are we willing to look foolish for our culture, in front of our culture? For the sake of God's glory. I think that Abraham's servant was willing to do that. Maybe in the back of your mind, at this point in time, you're thinking, that's a pretty neat deal. As soon as he finished praying, Rebecca shows up. Now, he didn't know who that was at first, but before the prayer had finished going through his mind, the right girl walks up. And, and to me, this is a great passage of the tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Let me say absolutely, God is completely sovereign. He is in control of this situation. But for some bizarre reason, God likes to use people. Otherwise, he could have just said, Abraham, don't worry, I'm sending Rebecca. She'll be here in a few weeks. Plan the wedding. Right? He could have, in the same way he called Abraham, called Rebecca. Why he didn't, I don't know. But he sends this servant, and, and God used that servant's prayer to bring about his will. To be quite honest, I don't know how that works, but I know that it does. God chooses to use people. He chooses to use our faithfulness to accomplish His faithfulness. And that seems odd. Because I know my life, and there are times that I'm not faithful, and yet still God is faithful. How do you do that, God? But He does. And we should praise Him for that. We should glorify in the fact that God uses you and I fallible and foolish as we are to accomplish what He wants. But make no mistake, He is in complete control. You also may be wondering how this ties into this. We, we said this morning that we celebrate the Lord's table. As I said at the beginning, in my mind, this servant is set at the beginning of this story as the model. Here's what a person should look like. He remains faithful to plan A, even though he'd love to have a plan B. And he's willing to look foolish and, and try something that seems a little odd for the sake of God's glory. And I am reminded almost immediately of our Savior, who was in a very similar situation in the garden he prayed, God, is there a plan B here? 
But then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. God, if there's another way besides the cross, I'm open to it, but my will is not really important. Jesus was entirely, completely willing to do plan A for you and for me. He was willing to go to the cross. He remained faithful even though plan A wasn't very good for him at the moment. Not only that, he was willing to look foolish for you and I. Who in the world is going to believe that you're God if you're actually hanging on a Roman cross? Why in the world would your disciples continue to follow you if you're dead? Who's going to believe in this kingdom, Jesus, that you've been talking about for three years and who's going to want to be a part of that kingdom if the king is subject to the Roman authorities? Really? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And we hear that. The world looks at the cross and says, that's foolishness. The world looks at you and I at times and says, that's foolish. Why would you follow someone in the world now says who's just made up? Just a myth. It's a story. It's a legend. You fools, the world calls us. And Jesus said, that's okay. I don't mind looking foolish. I know what... I'm here for, I know what I came to do. And we come and celebrate that this morning. Because we worship a God who remained faithful even when we were not faithful. His disciples, the, the paradigm of, of who you and I are today, scattered and fled. Peter denied him. He remained faithful. The world scoffs, the world mocks. He didn't mind looking foolish. He didn't mind going to the cross because his goal was to reconcile you and me to the Father by His blood, that our sins might be forgiven. And so we come together to celebrate this, this morning. The story continues. The servant is not finished. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring when he saw the ring and the bracelet on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, Speak on. Then he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age. And he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. 
But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. He said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my relatives and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. And if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey in which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she will say to me, You drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the rings on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebekah. Take before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, Let the girl stay for us with, a few, with us for a few days. Uh, say ten. Afterwards she may go. He said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahai Roy, where he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. A couple of more things we need to see in this passage. First, it seems things are going really well up to a point, but in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of even opposition, Abraham's servant remained steadfast to his calling. And that's one of the things that God calls us to do. You see, we, we come to him by faith. 
We come and, and celebrate what God has done. We're reminded that our sins are forgiven. We're reminded that He is faithful. And then He sends us back out into the world and life just kind of sometimes just smacks us upside the head. He never promised that it would be easy. He did promise that He'd be faithful. And He asks us to be steadfast even when things maybe seem like they're going a little off track. There's a lot of stuff here about Laban who seems to be attracted mainly by the gold that his sister is wearing. Hey, sis, where'd you get the new jewelry? Walmart having a sale? No, I met this guy at the well. And Laban's out the door. Got to meet this guy. Just keep that in the back of your mind. It's, it's going to come back again. We're going to run into Laban again in this story. And there's a lot that goes on as the, as the servant is retelling the story to the family. There are a few things he throws in, a few things he talks about uh, to make sure that as he's read them, and I think he has, that, that they get it. Uh, he's not dumb. Again, he has responsibility. He's got to find a wife, and he's, he's going to play that for all it's worth. Uh, but then something interesting happens. They say, yep, we, the story sounds rather amazing. It's rather a miracle. Uh, it must be from the Lord. You can have Rebecca. They spend the night, get up, I'm ready to go. Uh, why don't you hang around for a few days? Uh, and that, that Hebrew phrase is, is really rather bizarre, and there's been a lot of debate over whether they meant 10 days or 10 months or 10 years, not exact, but regard, even 10 days, let's say. Uh, he's in a tough situation. Uh, think about you and, and your daughter for a second. Guy shows up, says, I've got this. And it sounds like a good deal. And you go, okay, we can arrange that marriage. And, and then the next day, the sun rises and he says, well, I'm off. Moms, dads, how do you feel about that? Keep in mind, he's not just off across town. He's not just off to the next city. They're probably never going to see Rebecca again. Let that sink in for a second. They're probably, they probably know, because they know where he came from, how far he's traveled. They're never going to see her again. Can you wait a few days? <laughs> we, 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 this is all new and fresh. We, we'd like to just say goodbye. And Abraham's servant is not in charge here. Keep that in mind. Uh, he knows what he's asking is difficult. And he also knows that people get cold feet if you give them time. His purpose, and he believes clearly orchestrated by God, and he knows people's emotions and feelings, and he says, now nah, we've got to go now. Because I think he knows that it's quite possibly now or never. When God sends us to do something, the longer we wait, the more excuses we have for just putting it off. And so for the servant, I think 10 days probably might have been 10 years. And he returns empty-handed. No, I'm, I'm going now. And they don't like that, but I think they're stuck between a rock and a hard place too. We've got all these gifts. <laughs> this guy's wealthy. Let's ask Rebecca. Let her make up her mind. And amazing, she does what Abraham did. Yeah, I'll go. 
that phrase, go to a land that I will show you, and Abraham does that, and Rebekah now does that. And we get a happy ending. They show up. Rebekah sees Isaac. Isaac sees Rebekah. She hops off the camel. They get married. Abraham throws a party for the servant, gives him 40 acres, finds him a wife. It's the last the servants ever mentioned. The longest chapter in Genesis, the longest self-contained story, and it seems almost all about him, and that's it. He's done. His story is over. He just fades away. Jesus doesn't even talk about him. At least it's not recorded. Here is this person that's said at the beginning of this long story about Jacob as the quintessential man of faith. He doesn't get a name, and he's never mentioned again just seems a little unfair, doesn't it? He just fades away. And the question for us is, are we willing to remain faithful? Are we willing to look foolish? Are we willing, in response to God's love for us, to remain steadfast, even if we know that we're just going to fade off into the sunset. Let me give you one better. What if everything you worked for ended up seemingly a dismal failure? Spoiler alert. Isaac and Rebecca, their marriage, it doesn't end they become a dysfunctional couple. And their life ends in grief and sadness. All that hard work, all that faithfulness. I don't know if the servants saw that or not. I don't know how much longer he lived. We're not told. But do you think he would have gone through all that? It's going to end. If we told him the rest of the story, if he could read ahead, it's going to end like that? And you want me to do what? Are we willing to give everything for Christ? Even if we never receive the pat on the back. Or even if what we gave to eventually kind of seems to crumble and end up as a mess. Are we willing to follow God? Are we willing to remain faithful? Are we willing to look foolish? Are we willing to be steadfast? Because you see, the whole story wasn't a complete failure because Isaac did have a son named Jacob. We're going to study him over the next several weeks. And, and Jacob had a son. His name was Judah. And and an eventual descendant of Judah was a, a man named David who became king. And an eventual descendant of Judah was our Savior, Jesus the Christ. But Abraham's servant didn't see all that. He was where he was in a limited space, in a limited time, and he remained faithful. Not knowing what was coming. Uh, not knowing what was out there, 
He just trusted this God of Abraham whom he had seen supply Isaac from a barren wife. And he said, that's one God who's worth trusting. And so I'll be willing to be faithful to Abraham. I'll be willing to to stick my neck out on the line and to to come up with this harebrained scheme of finding a wife. And in the midst of difficulties, I'll remain steadfast. And you know what? I don't need a party or 40 acres, it, it seems. As we go through our week, let me challenge you. Let me encourage you. Remain faithful, even when you would like a plan B. Be willing to look foolish for the sake of God's glory. Remain steadfast when life wants to hit you upside the head. And then finally, be willing to do all that, even if nobody notices. Would you pray with me, please? Father, your word is uh, is amazing. You uh, describe your faithfulness in so many wonderful ways. And you give us pictures of people who responded to you in faith. So God, we ask that you would equip us through your spirit. May we be more like Abraham's servant and not like a lot of the other characters we read about in your word. But ultimately, God, we ask through your spirit that you'd make us like your son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And as we go through our week, God, may we model him and be like him that people may see you in us. Even if that looks a little foolish. Because, God, we we want you to receive all the glory and honor and praise. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And you are dismissed.